That's even funnier if you know the staff person and how they feel about kitty cats, too. <laughs> hey, good morning. Whether you're in-house with us or online, we're so glad you've joined us this morning. Uh, as we begin, I want to ask a question, and, and it's a kind of an interesting question, and it'll make you kind of think about, yeah, what's the most important thing? And it's this. If the world were to end tomorrow, what would you do today? What would you do today? I don't know if you ever thought about this, but think about it for, for just a minute. I think most of us would get on a phone, we'd call the people we love, maybe we'd get together with the ones we could, right? And we just would want to have that those moments with those people that are so important, so special to us, wouldn't we? Some of us might throw an end of the world party watch, right? Yeah, we're going to get popcorn and we're going to eat all the food that we can't or never could. And we're just going to go ahead and eat it because the world's going to end anyways, right? Uh, I like the response of uh, Martin Luther. He says this, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. <laughs> you go, what? Why would you do that? Well, there's, there's thoughts behind that, and uh, we're going to kind of un, un, uh, kind of unearth that a little bit. But uh, I want to ask you another question, um, and that's this. Are these really the end times? Are these really the end times? I mean, people always talk about the end times. It was, it was the establishment of Israel as a nation, right? And everybody says, oh, this is it. You know, the Israel is, is a nation state, and, and now it's, uh, it's established, and God had promised that in the Old Testament. This is being fulfilled. It must be the end days. Or, you know, Y2K, which wasn't Y too much, uh, you know? You, you, you have uh, all these different things going on. You have the, the ending of the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar is ending. It's the end of the world. Yeah, I've got to be honest with you. It seems like 2020 is getting into running for that in a lot of ways. But, you know, we're still here, aren't we? This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13. And I think this is important for us to understand. But about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. And, and someone has well said, we're, on, we're part of the welcoming committee, not part of the planning committee. And too often we want to be part of the planning committee. We want to have a chart. We want to have a timetable. And Jesus basically said, you know what? I'm not concerned about a timetable. Just be busy about what I've called you to do, right? I've got a lot of questions this morning. Uh, this is the passage I just, just read. But notice the key thing. He says, be on guard, be alert. doesn't say, get a timetable, <laughs> write a book. <laughs> I, have, I have so many books that have been given me over the years about people saying, I think this is it. And I just hold on to them. And I kind of want to write the author and saying, you want to revise that a little bit? You might be wrong. Here's the, the third question. So why hasn't the Lord returned? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever said, well, Jesus, why? You know, I mean, most of us say, Jesus, I would love you to return today. We, we see the way that the state of our world and what's going on in our world. We say, man, I wish the Lord would return soon, right? We say, well, why, why hasn't Jesus returned? Um, uh, let me read you a passage from Second uh, Peter chapter 2 excuse me, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done to it, it will be laid bare. So these things are going to happen, but it says because of the patience of the Lord, not wanting, wishing that any should perish, but all that might, might repent. In other words, what he's saying here, what Peter's saying here, and this is Second Peter, the second letter that he wrote, he's saying every day is a day for another son or daughter to step into his kingdom. And he delays to wait for those sons and daughters to come to repentance. Some of you are praying for them, right? You're praying for your, your, your kids. You're praying for your parents. You're praying for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for people close to you. You've been praying for them. You say, well, why doesn't the Lord come back? Well, I think one of the reasons Peter says is because the Lord is waiting for those next sons and daughters. Today, sons and daughters are going to step in the kingdom that weren't in the kingdom yesterday. It may be in this audience. It may be online. It may be that you're going to be up at 3 in the morning, you can't sleep, and you watch this message, and all of a sudden you realize you were the son or the daughter that God waited for to repent. Well, let's look at our passage. Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 7. And if you have a Bible, you might want to follow along with me. I'll be in, I'm just going to read a, a, a few verses here, but 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and this is what it says. The end of all things is near. Now, when you read that verse, you think of the guy in New York City with a, lot, with a sign that says, the end is near, right? Because essentially that's what Peter's saying, right? The end of all things is here, right? And he says this, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to to another, one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so, do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. All right, so how should we live in these end times? How should we live in these end times? So he gives us in this passage, it's very easy to, you know, you see these. He gives you four things to do. And by the way, none of them is to set up a timetable. <laughs> none, of, none of them is to predict when he's going to come. None, none of them is to grab your newspaper with one hand and your Bible with the other and say, this seems like it's going to happen. And that's none, none of that's here. It's all real practical stuff. What does he say to do? Four things. The first one is this. Watch prayerfully. Now, what does it mean to watch prayerfully? Be alert. Be, be clear-headed. Now, what could he possibly mean by that? Well, I think what he's saying here, and, and this is kind of brought up by other writers in the New Testament, that there, there are certain things that we see and there are certain things we don't see. There are things happening behind the scenes. We often see what's taking place right in front of our eyes, but we don't see what's taking place behind the scenes. We don't understand what's energizing the things. 
that we see. We see the culture wars, we see the political conflict, we see the office antics, we see strained relationships, but we don't see the spiritual battle that's taking place behind the scenes. So what does he say to do? He says, watch, but prayerfully. In other words, understand that there's something bigger going on behind the scenes than what you're seeing. At the end of Paul's letters to the church of Ephesus, he writes these words. This, you might want to write this reference down, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. We look at, you know, we look at all that's happening in our world today. We see the comments, the mean comments online, the Facebook and, and all over the place. We see the, the turmoil in our political structure. We see uh, all these terrible things happening in our world, and we, we just throw our, 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 we throw our hands up and we say, what can we do, and, and why is it happening? We see personal things happening in the relationships that are close to us, and we, all we see are those. And Paul says, no, you need to see behind the scenes. And he pulls back the curtain for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You see, we see the person that's in our face. We see the conflict in our marriage. We see our kids as being the problem, our parents being the problem, this person at work being our problem. But what does he say? He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms, and this is what, I think this is what Peter's talking about. When we are called to pray, to watch prayerfully, he's saying, look behind the curtain. There's a spiritual curtain and there's things going on there. And pray about that. Pray about it. What's behind the divisiveness? What's behind the conflict, racism, sexism, violence, intolerance? What's behind the conflict in your fa family, in your marriage, at work, with your neighbor? P what Peter and I think what Paul are saying is this, that there are powers and players that you cannot see. And we want to make the person, the flesh and blood, the enemy, when really the enemy is the one behind the scenes that is pulling the strings many times. Now, we're still responsible for our actions. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we're strongly influenced by a spiritual undertow that we don't see. And I think what Peter's saying is, let's just not be dumb about this. Let's understand there are things going on. And the first thing we ought to do for somebody that we're having conflict with is not figure out how we can get back at them or how God can judge them one day. We should say, God, help me to see what I'm doing or what, how I'm being influenced to bring negativity and, and, and divisiveness into this relationship by my words and my action and help in, in this person's life. That's what we should be praying. All right, so that's the first step, very practical. Here's the second one. Love deeply, love deeply. So, you know, it's one thing to love people that are lovely, that are nice, that are that you get along with, you know, that are easygoing. And what I found is to love the uns is a challenge. And what I mean by that is U-N-S. They're unlovely, they're uncaring, 
<laughs> they're, they're, you know, I have a whole bunch. They're unforgiving. They're ungrateful. They're undeserving. They're unkind. They're all these uns. And those are the ones that are hard to love, aren't they? They're the prickly ones. They're the ones that just can't say it in a nice way. They're the ones that always have a problem with you. They're the ones that you, it's so hard to get along with. And uh, they're the ones that we say, is really that person my neighbor? And what he says is, overlook hurts. Overlook offenses. Overlook when people say and do things that, that hurt you and hurt your feelings and discourage you. I think that's the point when, when Peter says love, over, love, uh, love overcomes a multitude of sins. You know, so often we want to call people on their sins. And sometimes we need to, you know, acknowledge that we've been hurt and do all that. Understand what I'm saying. But sometimes we're so easily offended. We're so thin-skinned. We take offense so quickly and so easily. We want to retaliate in kind so often. But we have to let our hurts go. We have to let them go and forgive and move on. And Peter is telling us not to be so thin-skinned. Uh, Proverbs says this. This is Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. In the last week, in the last month, if you were to look at your life, what were you doing? Were you, were you covering up? Or were you bringing up? Were you stirring up? He says love covers a multitude of sins. Paul wrote probably the greatest summary of what it looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't dishonor others. No matter what office or role they play, no matter what you think about them, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Peter's saying to you, put on a thicker skin, overlook offenses. Love covers a multitude of sins. Have you ever had somebody who kind of gave you grace and mercy when you didn't deserve it? We all have, I think. If, if we know Jesus, we, we all have had that. Just show that grace and mercy to others. Give them the benefit of a doubt. Don't assume the worst motives. All right, here's the third thing he talks about. So we move through these rather quickly. Show hospitality. Now, uh, what do we mean by that? It's only used, this word, uh, Greek word for hospitality is only used three times in the New Testament. And it's kind of an interesting word because we have this idea that hospitality means like what we mean with our English word hospitality. But the, I don't think the Greek word and the Hebrew word, or the Greek word and the English word mean the same. And it's, the, it's a good translation, but the problem is we just, we just, it's hard for us to come up with an English translation for that and to think about what that means. So we, we generally think hospitality means entertaining. And some of you here are not really good at entertaining. It's, it, you're maybe more introverted. You maybe don't have the, the resources or the home to entertain. 
and you feel badly because you think you're falling down in this area. You feel like this is something that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to invite people into my home and, and show, you know, and entertain them. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, Biblical hospitality was meeting a real need in a person's life. Entertaining is having a friend over, having a bunch of friends over. Uh, okay, so here's a few ways that biblical hospitality, this is kind of what it, I think what it means, the, 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 the essence of it. We're not entertaining, we're assisting somebody in need. We're not trying to impress them, we're serving them. That's very different, right? Hospitality has its limits. There's no time or place. Uh, there are times when you should not get involved. So, so let's, let's look at this. In the New, uh, New Testament, in the first century, uh, hospitality was a really important thing. Because when you traveled, you may have needed a place to stay. I think Joseph and Mary, right? They traveled and they needed a place to stay. And they couldn't find a place, right? And so hospitality was an important thing. You'll see Paul staying with people and Peter in and, and the, and the early church. They stayed with people. So hospitality was, a, was an, an important thing because they didn't have like hotels and, you know, you couldn't book ahead and stuff like that. It, it, it was a different time. So hospitality was really important. Um, but as I said before, hospitality has its limits. It's not that you open your home, and again, we're going to talk about more than just having people either eat with you or stay with you, but sometimes you have to put a limit on hospitality. There are situations where you should not let somebody live with you either for a long period of time or because it's a dangerous situation for you, your wife, or your kids. So you have to take, you know, clear like if you just see somebody on the street and you, your heart goes out for them and you say, I'm going to just invite them into my house, you know, that may not be a good idea. And you, 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 so I just think you have to be use some discernment there. Um, third thing about hospitality is that we're doing it for Jesus, not for ourselves or our friends. And it's probably going to cost you something. Um, you may never be thanked for it. You may, may never be acknowledged for it. People may never say, you know what, I want to just come back because a few years ago you helped me out and, and I just want to tell you how much that, that, that really assisted me. Now here's where I think the idea of hospitality gets kind of expanded because many of us would say, okay, but I'm still struggling because I don't know if I can show that kind of hospitality. Okay, well, hospitality may include the following. Giving, because remember, the idea is that you're helping somebody in need. You're helping somebody in need. It could include giving them money. It could be taking them a meal. It could be giving them temporary lodging. It could be fixing uh, their car or something in their home. It could be giving financial advice, watching someone's kid, giving, the, giving them a ride. This is what we're talking about. So, so there's multiple, multiple applications of showing hospitality. Don't get it narrowed down to having somebody over for dinner because that's too narrow. All right, so let's look at the last one. Peter says, you are to serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. 
No, God has given us each gifts, and he talks about two specific gifts. He says, if you speak, speak the very words of God. And certainly, as a pastor, I'm warned in this passage and multiple passages to be careful about what I say. Because there are people that I'm leading, and I need to be careful that what I say is biblically accurate. And it also says that when you serve, serve as you'd like you're serving the Lord. You know, don't do it for reward. Don't do it to get an attaboy or at a girl. Do it because you're serving God. Don't do it with a with a thought of being affirmed. So the question is, are you using your gifts for his kingdom? There's passages, of course, with lists like Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And they're an example of the variety of gifts that there are because there's a lot of gifts in there. But here's what I want to suggest to you. I want to suggest to you that the New Testament lists gifts, but there may be more than what's listed in the New Testament. Now let's, let's not try to get so tied down that it's tied to just these things. Because oftentimes you look at that and you go, you know, I don't see anything there that I feel like God has gifted me. So I think the lists were not meant to be exhaustive, but to illustrate some of the gifts and what they might be. And he gives specific gifts directed towards the church, of course. For example, let me give you... so. As I said before, helping people with their cars, plumbing, roofing, computer shopping, uh, shopping, cleaning, recovering after the storm. You know, those are, those are giftings. You know, you, you may have a gift in an area that you can help somebody else out in. And, uh, you know, you, you help a person who is in need and you have maybe computer expertise or you have carpentry or plumbing or some type of ex expertise or you have another uh, ability and you, you help those people out. I mean, that's, basically serving. Um, so what we're, we're to do is we're to use these gifts and abilities. Uh, and so, so the question is, what gifts and abilities do you have that can help other people and further his kingdom? You know, many times when you just reach out and you help somebody with a skill or a gift or an ability that God has given you, and you do it to help them with no thought of reward because you're serving Jesus. Many times that opens the door for a conversation about who Jesus is. Why are you doing this for me? Why are you putting yourself out like that? And when they, you know, it goes back to Peter, it says, always be ready to give an answer about the hope that you have within you. And they begin a conversation and you say, this is, this is why I'm doing it. Now, you've done a couple things. Number one, you've opened the door for a conversation, but you've shown them what true Christianity is. That Christianity is just not words. It's not just saying, uh, this is what's morally right and what's morally wrong. It engages in a real way to help another person. That other person has been helped and been loved by you, and, and you built a cr credibility, and now you have a, a, an opportunity to speak. I don't think we do that very too, too enough. So the, this next uh, three things about gifts that I want to talk about real quick. Um, I got this from another pastor, and I thought it was really good a number of years ago. And I just want to say this is what we tend to do with gifts, okay? We have gift envy. 
And gift envy is, I want to be like you. <laughs> so you watch these these people on their instruments and you see them singing and you see them playing their guitars and drums and you go, that's what I want. I want to be like that. No, I'm not very musically talented and I can't carry a tune and I really don't want to put the time in and practice. I'm not really motivated, but that's what I want. So I, you know, I want to be like you. And uh, what does the scripture say? No, don't be like them. Be like you. Use your gifts. Use your abilities. Don't envy people. If somebody can sing, great for them. But if you can't, don't worry about it. Some people can give. They have a capacity to give. You say, man, I wish... I, I've heard people say this, boy, I wish you got... If God gave me $10 million, I'll tell you what, I would do stuff for his kingdom. And I go, yeah, I don't think so. My guess is that if God gave you $10 million, you would probably squander it or not use it very well. And that's probably the reason why I didn't give you $10 million. Um, gift projection is the second one. And gift projection is not, I want to be like you, but I want you to be like me. I want you to be excited and passionate and, and energized by the things that energize me. I'm passionate about missions, aren't you? I'm passionate about children's ministry, aren't you? I'm passionate about prayer ministry. And it's the most important thing. And we all should be in, 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 into prayer ministry. I'm passionate about prison ministry or whatever ministry you want to come up with. And, and if you're not, they go, what's wrong with you? Shouldn't you be like me? So, gift envy. I want to be like you. Gift projection. I want you to be like me. And then the third one he gave, and I thought this was good, gift obsession. And, and this is the one where you go, I just don't know what my gift is. I, I just keep looking and thinking, and, and I just haven't figured it out, and I don't know what to do. And you know what? Here's the answer to that. The answer to that is just start doing stuff. <laughs> so many times people are like, they say, well, when I figure out what my gift is, you watch out, man. I'm really going to serve the Lord then. How about we do this? How about you just do it? Just try it. I remember when I first became a Christian and I got involved in a church and I started doing ministries. <laughs> I, I learned really quickly what I was gifted in and what I wasn't gifted in. And a lot of it was like uh, helping out with kids, little kids or something. That was before I was a parent. And I, was, and I wasn't very good at that. I mean, it's just like, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> okay. And then you kept trying. You go, okay, this is getting better. I'm starting to figure out what it is. My point is, it's easier to move a car when it's, it's easier to steer a car when it's moving rather than when it's sitting still, right? So if you don't know what your gift is, fine. Just volunteer for a, a bunch of things and try it out and see if it works and say, okay, that's it or that's not it. Because here's what I've, uh, here's what I know. And this is true in the church. This church, every other church in America and around the world, the needs of any church are always greater than the volunteers. The needs of any church are always greater. And it's true here. The needs here are greater than the volunteers. Because people are, I don't, I don't know if I'm even good at that. I've never tried it. I, you've never asked. You never thought about it. You never did anything. And all I'm saying is do something. 
Try it out for a while and see what you get. You may be surprised. All right, let's just quick review. One of the most important things is that we understand that Peter basically says there's really four things to think about is the end is near. He says, don't set a chart up. Don't try to plan. Don't write a book. Don't try to say we're the last generation. Jesus is going to come before, you know, he burns up the earth and, you know, all this, every, all the evil people will be destroyed. Instead of that, he says, here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to, I'd love you to watch prayerfully. Look behind the scenes because there's something going on probably spiritual that you can't see and you have to pray about it. Love deeply. Don't be easily offended. Get a thick skin, thicker skin. Overlook offenses. Show hospitality. Uh, you don't have to invite them over to your house. You don't have to keep them in. You might, you know, keep them for a, a little bit of time. But there's a lot of ways to show hospitality. You know, if a young mom's having a, a baby and you want to take a meal or somebody's sick in the hospital and you want to take them a meal, that's showing hospitality, right? If, if, if a, a young mom, a single mom has a car and she needs help with it and you're a good mechanic and you go and help, that's showing hospitality, right? If... Uh, somebody has an issue with their plumbing and you're you're pretty good you're pretty handy with that stuff and you go over and you help them out with that showing hospitality right it's helping somebody in need and then uh serve faithfully serve faithfully use your gifts and your abilities for his kingdom so how are you leveraging your gifts and abilities for his kingdom how are you using them for his kingdom so there it is peter says you know watch the end of the world is near and here's four practical things you can do as we wait for the return of the Lord. 